Hi there. This week's guest is Tamu McPherson. She is a style influencer on a on a huge scale, on a global scale. She lives in Milan and has been under lockdown for about three weeks now. She's the person that inspired me to do a very sort of unplanned series around what it what it feels like to be on lockdown. Here in the UK, we've only been on lockdown since Monday. And I really thought that Tamu would offer some insight, some inspiration for us that are just getting to terms with that whole feeling in limbo, not knowing what to do with our days now that the routine's gone, now that many of us have been furloughed from work, maybe even been let go. Many of us are freelancers who've been told that our contracts are going to be sort of put to sleep for a little while or just got rid of overnight. We're having to adjust and routines have kind of disappeared. But then we also feel like we should have a routine and there's a lot of I should be doing this. And when you work in media, it's like I should be producing content. And for Tamu, there in Milan, she's been on lockdown, like I say, for three weeks. And she, her son isn't even with her. He's in Switzerland. So right now it's just her and her husband in their apartment. And she's, some days she's staying busy doing lots of cleaning, as you'll hear. And other days she's kind of surrendering to the fact that she doesn't have lots to do. She isn't feeling super productive right now. I love how Tamu shares insights into when she was growing up, how hair was such a big thing. And if you follow Tamu at all, you'll know she has the most perfect teeny weeny afro, TWA as it's known. Well, obviously being in lockdown for three weeks, it's kind of growing more. So she talks about just dealing with hair during this time, having to try and remove your own gel nails, which I've done in the past. And yeah, it's kind of messy. I think you'll really enjoy this one. And if you're having a tough time right now, just listen to Tamu. She's such an inspiration. She has, I think, about 250,000 followers on Instagram that follow her purely for her style. But I think more recently as well, she's been sharing just how it feels to be at home. She's the CEO of All the Pretty Birds, which is an online magazine that I actually work for. Recently, I interviewed Chloe J Flowers and she is a co-contributor there as well. So I hope you love this one. Do let me know. Tag me on Instagram, send a screenshot, slide into the DMs and let me know what you thought. And let Tamu know that you're listening because I do really think she's shared a lot here and she's definitely made me think, well, if she can get through it without even having her own son around, then we can cope. It's only week one. I know it's starting to feel like Groundhog Day, but I hope you're okay and I hope you enjoy this. My name's Sharice Kenyon and this is the Beauty Me podcast. I've been a hair and beauty journalist for about 15 years and I thought it was about time I created my own platform so I could talk all about beauty without the BS. While there's plenty of room for product recommendations, I'm also all about the daily routines, traditions and lifestyle path that make us all approach beauty differently. First of all, I feel like I need to check in with you anyway. Like, how are you doing today? I, I'm, we're doing well here. Um, I don't know. Like, the message for us is loud and clear, and it was loud and clear from right before the official government lockdown. Like, we need to stay home. And, like, we need to stay home to avoid infection. We When, we, when I got back from Paris, I needed to stay home because I had been traveling, and if I had been exposed to something, I needed to stay home. Um, my husband is very clear to him too. Like we need to avoid infection. So we need to stay at home so that the infection rate can, 
can go down and so that the medical um, industry and the doctors and nurses and sanitary workers can get a hold of this virus and to contain it. Like, it's so clear, like, how you avoid and contribute to the overall mission of containing the virus. So I don't know if that, you know, that objective is just the thing that is making, you know, staying at home so straightforward to us. I mean, sure, we miss going outside. Sure, we're here in this apartment for 19 days straight. I, I'm Actually, I've been here longer because I was at home before the official lockdown started. So it's probably more like 20-something days. But I, I don't, like for me, it's not a problem because there's a, like, there's a mission and an objective in front of me. And it just makes the uncomfortable part of staying inside completely manageable. Okay. It's, it's funny you know? because for me, it was very hard to like get on with things with not knowing. So I'd be like, right, well, normally I would go to the gym. So I'm going to keep going to the gym, but I'm going to like make sure I disinfect my area. I'm going to make sure I'm not near anyone. I'm going to do what I think I should be doing. And then when the government finally said something, even though it's still quite vague, I think I feel like the Italian government is a lot more firm. Here it's, he hasn't said, like, stay the hell in, like, stay in, do not leave. He said, you shouldn't be going out, you shouldn't be going to see your friends. It's very soft, but it has helped because I feel once you're told not to do it, it gives you a bit more clarity. It's like, okay, we're going to do this. You know, if we all do it, it should work out. And like I said, seeing you doing it, like it's basically three weeks essentially. I'm like, if if Tamu can do it, and you're someone that travels so much, you're so busy, you're always going somewhere. If you can stay at home, and I don't even think your son's with you right now. No, he's not. Yeah, he's like not. if you can go through that, I can cope. We can cope. Yeah, you know what? Our government, I think, initially was laughed about it, laughed about it. Um, and I think when the numbers exploded, I think that it, the government reacted um, properly, like given the information they had at the time. But when, you know, we have an aging elderly population, when they saw what was happening there, I think it just really really shocked them into action. And if you're following the numbers here, the only thing the government can do is be strict. And, you know, the way that our government is set up is that they have the means to completely lock down the country. So thankfully, they have those means um, because we, you know, we have a, a long way ahead of us. And, and you can see it in the numbers. They've gotten a hold of the situation, but the numbers aren't going down as quickly as needed to really prevent the death that's occurring and to really prevent, well, to apply the care that's needed to the patients that are the illest. So, mm. um, I mean, there's no, there's no other option in Italy. And the other thing is they've gone as far as to um, consider even closing the supermarkets on the weekend. But 
What's remarkable is how government works and how it works when it is functioning properly. Um, they decided not to do that because they don't want to instill further panic yeah. um, in the country. And so they are mindful that something like simply closing the supermarket um, you know, or reducing the hours in general can add to the general panic associated mm. with this unprecedented pandemic. Mm. So that's what I feel like your government, the first approach they took was very puzzling for me personally mm. mm -hmm. in terms of let the population build up immunity by not <laughs> taking action. So I feel like you guys lost some time there. But what mm. I noticed that your numbers are not as as startling mm. as I mean, even in the United States that has surpassed all countries now. Yeah. And that was directly in a country like the United States, as big as the United States with so many bustling cities, the leadership there was completely vacant. Yeah. I just, that's a whole other ball game because it's such a huge place. Like California alone, I think they're predicting just a, a crazy amount of people getting it and being infected with it currently. And so obviously they have to wait a few weeks to see if, how that affects things. But that's just one state. So what I wanted to ask you actually, obviously pre-corona, can you just give me your sort of, from your daily sort of your morning routine from when you open your eyes pre-corona what would be your morning routine okay so i use the bathroom <laughs> and then i have breakfast and i i used to document my breakfast a lot but mm -hmm. i don't know social media there was a time when it was okay to share what you're eating mm -hmm. and then social media got tired of that sharing. <laughs> and so after breakfast, depending on what I'm doing, I, you know, I wash up, I have a shower and I, I tend to my face, which is very, very basic and low maintenance. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I wash my face. I will spray some rose water on it after washing it, and then I use a moisturizer. Um, sometimes I use a balm. Sometimes I use a serum. And okay. typically, you know, and then I, I'll, I'll deal with my hair. And then I, which deal it sounds like such a harsh word, I'll, I'll comb my hair. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's it. That's typically it. And then I'll either come to, into the office, or I'll go to an appointment, or I'll be traveling. So has that, the way you wake up, changed at all? Because I think for a lot of people in lockdown, it's kind of like things go all over the place. You're like, well, what's the point in sticking to any kind of routine? Like, Did anything change for you um, once you were officially in lockdown when it came to like your morning routine? Well, I mean, it might not happen in that order because there isn't the urgency of me leaving. Um, I might, first of all, in this period, you can actually have a two hour breakfast where you actually eat, get distracted, come back and drink your coffee, do something else, finish your coffee. You could be in the kitchen for two hours yeah. easily. And then you can get distracted, like with cleaning something. I'm still organizing the house. Mm -hmm. And then 
at that point, it could be like three o'clock. And honestly, I've been waking up so much later because I've been going to bed so much later. Yep. Uh, however, I've spoken to a friend who really emphasized that this is a time of stillness, like beyond everything, the universe, the divine is willing us to be still. So she advised me not to be rigid with a schedule because this is a time of rest and a time of preparation for what comes next. So once she kind of clarified that for me, I really look at the schedule like, yes, I promised myself that I would still observe myself grooming, you know, also because if I don't pick out my hair, it's going to get all matted and I don't wear a scarf at night because I forget. And I also find that when I wear the scarf at night, it like squishes my hair down and it's harder to shape right. even with the pick. Yeah. Like, you know, like one side will get flat. So I don't wear one at night. So if I'm not combing my hair every day, then it, it essentially it's going to get matted. Then the other thing is you want to be washing your face every day. <laughs> <laughs> so like, Waking up and and not washing your face, well, no, you need to wash your face and you need to brush your teeth. So (laughs) those simple things are good. I don't have the kind of routine that some people have where they do a full, you know, a full thing. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, I use the, I use the, the, uh, face, facial wash. I use the, the rose water because I'm obsessed with like rose water or even lavender mist. I love them. I love the way they smell. They're so calming. I, I love my moisturizers and my serum, and that's about it. But also remember, I'm not, unless I have to shoot something, I'm not even wearing any makeup. Yeah. So for me, it's low key, and it's just like the basic essential grooming. Yeah. So I keep that up, and then at some point, I'll get dressed. And it seems like it's so late, and my day is pretty much over by the time I get dressed but everything takes so long to do in this period like no matter how I try to be efficient it just I'm not on the same timetable that I ever would be and I have had to just admit that and accept that because we're stuck in this house why am I going to be hard on myself because I'm not observing and respecting a schedule like I'm stuck inside I can't go outside I get my son by sitting at the window and opening it and, and letting it, you know, bathe across my face. Like, mm-hmm. what else can I do? So I think everybody needs to be gentle with themselves in terms of the schedule. Keep up your grooming because it's healthy and hygienic, you know, mm-hmm. but don't be hard on yourself. And if there are days that you don't do it, so what? <laughs> so what, you know? So you have a very cute afro going on. That's like your signature look. So you were saying earlier about how you think that like your hair's changed maybe around the front or something because when you're washing it and obviously if you're not tying it down and somebody asked you about doing protective styles. Yes. So I am currently growing out my hair. I normally wear my hair really, really short because I'm, I am a low maintenance person and I don't have a textured afro. I have a precisely cut afro. And it would make it makes me crazy if it's not like if it's if it doesn't the shape isn't yeah. perfect. 
And so that's a challenge for me right now. Well, if I was going out, it's not a challenge in the house, but uh, I prefer to be precise. So I'm growing it out, and my friend asked me what protective styles I'm going to to wear while I'm growing it out. And that was the strangest question to me because I've never, I've had natural hair on and off for the past almost 13 years. Mm-hmm. And there was a period where I had a relaxer during that time, but for the most part, it's been natural. And it was such an interesting question because I had never worn a protective style during that period. So I'm unfamiliar with it personally, I have to say. But what I noticed is that since I have time to notice these things is that the very front of my hairline um, is shorter than the rest of my hair. Mm-hmm. And so what I know, and it's not, I don't think it's cut that way. I might ask my um, stylist when I speak to him, but what I notice is when I wash my face with my facial wash and the, my hairline gets wet, obviously the curls get um, shorter and they remain, uh, maybe they're drier and mm. they're not combed out. Mm. But there is a difference in the length. And so I'm going to ask him why that is. I'm not really concerned with it because I'll just cut it all off back to the same length. <laughs> it grows pretty quickly. But I, the only thing I can think of is, oh, you suggested that I should um, wear a hair tie or a... Um, what are those, the hair bands? Those hair bands that like sometimes they had those Velcro ones. I remember I had one of those. Oh, yeah. When I used to wrap my hair. So maybe I will just practice pulling my hair back, as you suggested, just to prevent it from from getting wet in the front and yeah. shrinking like that. And yeah. then maybe breaking. And maybe it's the way that I'm picking my hair as well. My hair sheds a lot, uh, but it's not an issue because I have a massive amount of hair. <laughs> currently um but i just think it sheds a lot because i comb it differently you know what i mean i pick it once a day and it's natural i really wanted to backtrack on your skincare because i know you're quite minimal but i would just love to know what you're using right now which actual brands i am using two facial washes and one is julisus and it's a lovely facial wash. I've been washing, I've been using it for a long time. The one I use is Gold Wash Day. Okay. And then I alternate with my friend's new product, and that's called Honey. Okay. And it's vegan, organic, natural. And so I alternate between those two. Okay. Then as a facial balm, I use May Lindstrom. Skin, the blue cocoon mm-hmm. and then when I use the eye cream I use the Tata Harper and so I use that one and then the rose water that I use is called sacred rose water and I just think it's I think it's a natural product and then the serum that I use is Vintner's Daughter and then on my skin, this is an oil that you can use as a cleanser or a moisturizer. Mm-hmm. And so it's the Sea Buckthorn Best Skin Ever. And I love that product. Uh, and so those, those are the ones that I mainly use daily. Obviously, I use shea butter 
on my skin, mm-hmm. especially in the winter because I have extremely dry skin. So I don't use a lot of products, but the products that I use are clean and of the highest quality. I try to, and you know, especially because I'm not spending as much as maybe the next woman or man, but when I, you know, when I spend, I invest in really high quality, clean products. So if you... I often sometimes ask people about if they were stuck on a desert island, but I feel like being in lockdown is kind of similar. If if any of those products, if you kind of didn't have access to those products, what's the what's the one that you would really, really find yourself relying on or missing? I think um, the face the face washes I love because they're really fresh. Okay, and the the moisturizers yeah. because my skin is so dry. Like now being in the house and the heat is still on and we don't have humidifiers. Like I don't own a humidifier everywhere is dry. Like my facial skin is so dry right? and I'm like, and, and it feels kind of rough. Like, you know, I guess on those areas that get super dry, like on the cheekbones around that area feels dry. The jawline feels dry. So, and if you're on an island, I guess, with that sun, I mean, I'd have to go look for some aloe. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Slather that all over. Yep. I wanted to ask you, I do like, obviously we're, you know, we are in lockdown. We're definitely going to get back to that. But I always like to find out, I know that, you know, you're a Jamaican living in Milan and... I wanted to know kind of what are your first memories of beauty and grooming? What, you know, was it from your family? Was it things that you'd see around you? I would, I just want to kind of picture young Tamu beauty influences. My first memories of beauty would be from just living with my mother and my aunt and they were, I was the only child when I was growing up. I was, the only, I am the only child. I, and they dedicated a lot of time to my grooming, specifically my hair. So I remember being, having no hair and having like a patch of hair on the top of my head. And they found a pearl clip and it was like a ball of pearls. And they somehow attached it to the top of my head. And then when I had hair, ribbons you know all the ribbons in my hair and they used to I feel like they were combing my hair multiple times because there were outfit changes and new hair and then when I was older let's say like in elementary school my aunt literally would it was it was more my aunt because she's really really creative of course my mom combs my hair all the time but my aunt is the one that would apply things to my hair constantly and play and like play dress up with me so she (laughs) One time she found these hearts. They were like hearts, like little plastic hearts. They were like hollow inside. It was like the outline of a heart. And they were kind of pearlized. Mm -hmm. And she laced them through my hair, like for a (laughs) hairstyle. And it was pretty intense. And then my aunt is the one who, I mean, let's talk about this. Around 91, 92, 93, she... She she gave me box braids on her own. Like she like learned how to do box braids, and like she 
I don't know if it was a thing or not, but she knew that she had to go get the real hair. Mm. So she went and bought the real hair and she put micro braids in my hair. And she figured out if she like did the cornrows up the front and then the back was micro braids. Mm -hmm. I think those braids lasted for like six months. Like, you know, she was, it was like her and my grandmother as well. My grandmother was like a wig wearing makeup kind of woman. And so she was, when I was growing up, she was very glamorous. Like she used to go, there was like a social club, like a West Indian Mm -hmm. social club. So she would go there. And so she would like, Get, oh, by the way, she was in England for a long time. Okay. She was like that, the wind rusher that moved right. from Jamaica to England and mm-hmm. then they moved to the United States after. So right. think about that like 70s, 80s, like oh, West wow. Indian kind of like glamour, big hair, mm-hmm. you know, big Afro wig, I guess. And then, oh. they, or maybe it was her Afro, I don't know. She was doing protective style. <laughs> so, and then like that big 80s makeup and, um, for, for my mom and my aunt, I was natural until I was 17 and like they couldn't, or 16 maybe, and they couldn't like resist anymore. <laughs> so that was kind of the vibe on, on my end. And yes, my mom and, you know, wearing all that 80s and, and makeup, which was gorgeous. She used to wear all those beautiful like fuchsia lipsticks mm. and the, the eyeshadow. And like my first memory of like proper beauty products was like probably Clinique and the like my starter kit, kit oh, was yeah. you know the Clinique the facial wash and yeah. moisturizer do you remember the cream I've in the oh. it was like that egg white color that like it was yes. kind of there was the soap looking. soap toner and the cream was it yes yes that toner though oh gosh I wouldn't use that today <laughs> yes that was the starter kit. And yeah. that was like the reliable go-to brand that that's what you started with. Yeah. So that was like my first, you know, if, if you're thinking of proper brand, yeah. that was my proper brand. But you know what? When we were growing up, they were definitely using ice, the same as everyone else. Vaseline yeah. on my legs, yeah. you know? Yep. And in my hair. <laughs> in my hair. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm we- mixed. So my mom was white. I don't know. If she got it from somebody from my family, but yeah, I just remember Vaseline at my roots, and then throughout the day, as you would get warm, you start to feel it, you know, coming down <laughs> your forehead. <laughs> but yeah, it was all about moisture, moisture all over. Yes, yes. So those are my first; those are my first memories. And when did you? Obviously, you're saying how influential your your mum and your aunt was, but when was the time when you started finding your own way with playing with how you looked? Because obviously, you are a huge style influencer in the world right now. But when did you first start experimenting with how you actually looked when it came to hair, beauty, and obviously clothes? Growing up in the 90s was a lot of fun. Uh, I had a best friend whose brother was very devoted to the Pan-African movement. Right. So he was interested in anything related to the diaspora. Mm -hmm. So he would take us along on to events, to concerts. uh, And we started to see African, you know, related styles for ourselves. So it was, it was an interesting moment because it was, 
the age where a lot of girls, for example, were getting relaxers at school, but then on the other hand, going to these events and seeing people wear locks or people wear their box braids or people wear um, styles that at the time and in the context were very, you know, diaspora related and, you know, Afro influential. And so during that time, I decided since I had natural hair and I, my mom was not allowing me to get a relaxer, I figured if I braided my hair and I let the ends twist that I could have like a lock look. So that was like my first personal, after the box braid, that was my personal way of embracing a style that was relevant to me at the time. And so I wore that, I wore that style for a while because I also, I ran track in high school, so it was a style that was easy to maintain because Mm -hmm. it was braided in the front and then the ends were, would just, you know, they would curl and, and the ends. And so I wore that for a while. And then in terms of, that was like my hairstyle. Around that time, club and house music was really big in the United States. So coming from England, because it's like all the funk, the acid rain, all of them, that, those genres were big. Um, at home, my uncle used to play. He's, my uncle's British also. Um, so he was very big on, you know, acid rain, funk. It's even called acid rain. It's been a long time. Um, acid house? And acid house. Acid house, right? Because acid rain is an actual thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You need um, to get out. You need to get out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm not going anywhere. No. <laughs> um, so Acid House and uh, that had a huge influence on me because at the time, in New- I lived in the suburbs and you know how it is when you live in the suburbs. All you want to do is go into the city, right? I lived right outside of Manhattan and I just wanted to be in the city. I wanted to go to the clubs in the city mm-hmm. and I was, I was 14, 15. And I, I started to interpret what I thought the look could be. And it was the 90s. So I remember I used to wear a big black headband yes. and then have my <laughs> hair come out the top. And then I would wear like all these printed shirts. And we had great vintage where I grew up. So we would source all these vintage Levi really baggy jeans and then wear Doc Martens and some shoes that... I had traveled to England at the time, and I remember I got these gorgeous, gorgeous leather-like brogues, and I used to wear them, and that was like my style with a big belt. And then we would just try to emulate what was going on in the club. So we were very crafty. We would make like necklaces. We had a great arts and crafts store, maybe the most beautiful store ever I've ever seen, because they had crystals there, too. Where I lived was kind of Mm hippie-ish, and so... That was like my, that was one of my first forays into actual style. And I had a best friend who was also quite creative. She actually is an author um, today. She used to sew things at home. And so she used to sew these crazy hats from like old curtains in the house. So she, she used to make them for us and like, you know, the first forays into like outfits. After after coming into my style like that, um, I mean, there was so much going on because there was also dance hall music that was like exploding onto the scene. And that was really important to me uh, in my life because 
there was never a moment in my life when my mother or my aunt wasn't playing reggae or dance hall. So that was unfolding during that period. And I remember when I finally got a relaxer, and one of the things that probably drove me to really want a relaxer was all the styles that was all the hairstyles okay. that that were coming out of dance hall. So you had the pin curls, the pineapple curls, the hair buns, um, all of the. There were mostly up sleeve hairstyles with all of that, the pin curls, the the finger waves in the front, and then like a pineapple structure on top. <laughs> And it was all like colored and, you know, lots of auburns, lots of gold. And I really wanted one of those styles because I was coming into this dance hall phase. And I just, I, rem- I, fi- I remember when I finally got a relaxer. Listen, I had a massive head of hair. I went to Brooklyn. We went to Flatbush. We went to any random place. And all of my hair, I left it in the sink that day because she used, like, she saw my hair and she, I mean, I don't know. She might have just set up a hair, like a, a salon, but she saw the amount of hair I had and she used, like, Revlon Super on my hair. And my hair is massive, but it's not, it's not, it's kinky, but it's yeah. not coarse. Yeah. It's not coarse. And so... <laughs> Oh, Half of my hair was like what they say, 70% of your hair gets damaged with a relaxer. Mm-hmm. Well, I left some of it there, but I had this, I had a relaxer, hair limb. And then I remember the first hairstyle that I got was one of those ponytails that has the pin curls on top. And I was just living my life. And I might have had, you know how like sometimes you had like the, the bang that was like swept across the, yeah. the front yeah. of your face and yeah. then it, that swept up into the, the yes, ponytail. Yep, 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 that yep, was like yep. one of my first looks. <laughs> and then after that, different iterations of that look, like and you know, pin curls, finger waves, you know. So you definitely played. Those. You explored. Yeah. And so that was when I moved into dance hall. In terms of makeup and skincare, it was still basic. It was still the you know the 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 basic kit. The um. It was still the basic kit. And for makeup, maybe we were starting, but remember, I was still in high school, so not so much makeup. In college, I moved into my Dominican blowout phase. Do you know about that? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think that's that's definitely probably a U.S. thing. Explain that to me. So basically, at a certain point, um, the Dominican hair salon blew up and everyone wanted to get their hair done by the Dominican hairstylist. And what they would do is they would give you like a blowout and it would be the blowout of your life. Kind of like blowouts today, like just perfect, perfect uh, bob, mm-hmm. long hair, whatever you had, right? And so I started to go to those salons and the thing was, do you know the doobie wrap? So it's when they wrap your hair up and they use the pins to, to hold the hair in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Babe, that was a style. People would actually, it wasn't a style, but it was definitely a tribe moment where, you know, young women of color would actually walk around like that to keep their hair up. And so there was that moment when I was into that. And then you, at that point I was going and I was going to university. Mm -hmm. And so I learned how to do that myself because at that point you're doing your hair, you know, in your dorm room. 
because there's a salon. But like with all things, I went to university upstate New York and it's always like a little town where mm. maybe a girl sets up a shop, but it's not going to be reliable. She's not always going to be open. The quality of care is going to be questionable, et cetera, et cetera. So you start learning how to do your hair in your home or you just don't want to go. Uh, you prefer your hairstylist back home. Mm-hmm. And so you like don't want to cheat and you do your hair in your dorm room. You have like, I remember I had the hair dryer and I would sit on it. And so that's when me personally doing everything started. And mm-hmm. so I would do my hair. I wouldn't do relaxers because I feel like I never learned how to do a relaxer on myself. And I don't think I would ever master that because all that chemical in your face anyway is just mm-hmm. weird. And so I would just like do all of my blowouts and my, my roller sets at home. <laughs> and then I would also do my manicures and my pedicures. Wow. And then... That's when I started to wear makeup and it was all about the eyeshadow and what was popular when I went to college, when I was in university was like the dark lips. So we were like wearing yeah. basically black lips, yep. uh, black lipstick. And that's when I started to pierce my ears, <laughs> like, do you know, do I had like seven holes kind of situation. <laughs> I reopened them last summer, uh, repaired them last summer. And, you know, in university, it was like box braids also because we were away from home. So everyone at a certain point, we all had box braids and we would, it would be where I went to university was freezing. So we would all wear like our berets with box braids with our black lipstick, chocolate brown or black lipstick. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think. And then, yeah, at that during that period, I, sh- I remember just being obsessed with eyeshadow, not so much. Blush was blush. Blush was a big deal, but we weren't wearing it mm. so heavily. Mm. It was more like get your eyeshadow right, get yeah. that like contrasting in the middle of your eye, <laughs> darker color, and then but also playful, like a lot of icy colors. I remember, yep. and a lot of coordinating with your look kind yep. of situation. <laughs> so that was like when I was really wearing. That's when I was wearing makeup and and kind of when I laugh and think that. I used to do all that stuff myself and I was pretty good at it. And then today I'm like, oh my God, what do I do now? You know? <laughs> Need but, my nails doing during lockdown. Yeah, it's a different... Oh, well, I had I had gel at the start of lockdown and they had grown out a lot. And I thought that I had a product that could take them off, but it depends on the gel that's used. So... I tried everything I had in my medicine cabinet and nothing worked. And (laughs) this is why I want everyone to be careful with the cleaning products they're using. The minute that I started to use bleach and uh, we use, um, I know we use like a a very old, like um, we use an old homemade cleaner and it's just, uh, what is it? Vinegar. We use vinegar. And so I'm. One day I was using vinegar, alcohol, and bleach in the same day. I was like triple disinfecting surfaces, mm, not mm, together, because mm, I know that if mm. you mix them, there can be a chemical toxic. reaction. Yeah. Yeah. So by the end of me cleaning that day, literally the gels were coming off, oh, and wow. I was wearing gloves. <gasps> what? That's so I don't know if it was the humidity of having yeah. the gloves on that yeah. long and then washing my hand. Like, cause every time I would like 
literally finish disinfecting one thing. I would, you know, take the gloves off. Mm. It was a cra- It was like one of those days where yeah. you're in lockdown and you're fighting <laughs> the invisible virus and you're like washing your hands and disinfecting your whole house and like fighting. You're like doing like some kind of symbolic fight in your house. <laughs> Yeah. And so that's how I got the gel off. Oh my god! I, I have it on one finger. <laughs> that one is the strongest, but the rest of them came off. So please be careful. Maybe I didn't have the gloves on for a, like a couple mm. wipe downs. Mm. It might have been the bleach, but girls, guys, be careful. I've seen a lot of messy, really messy attempts to remove gels during lockdown, and. I've had gels a few times in my life and I have to say I'm one of those awful people. The minute I get one tiny hint of a chip or a lift, I start to just attack it myself. And the times when I have had the correct formula, I think it's like the nail polish remover that has acetone in it rather than as opposed to the one without. And you're meant to put the foils on your fingers and I did it. And, you know, they kind of get a bit warm and then you take it off. And I was like, no, it's not working. So I just end up like peeling it off. And <laughs> I can see the top layer of my nail left behind in the bits that I've peeled off. <laughs> and I feel terrible because I've basically set my nail growth back at least a couple of months. Um, yeah, it's just it's, it's just one just- of those things. Once it starts, I have to get rid of it by any means necessary. Do you know um, Kay Hansberry? Yes. She filmed herself removing it and it's in her highlight. Okay, I'll check it out. Not that I'm going to get gels for a while. Um, but for anyone who's caught yeah, out Yeah, there, I'll share that. She, she said it took a long time, but she, I mean, the, I think the issue is, and the issue for me was the growth was great because that is, I guess, a protective style. Mm-hmm. And... The problem is that when they grow to a certain point, they're really, um, it's really easy for them to break. Yes. Yeah. And what the problem is that they break in the middle of your nail bed, oh my gosh, which yeah. means your, the tips of your fingers raw, yep. which is if you're washing your hands 50 times, yeah. it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're doing like housework, like I'm doing all the housework and it's like even making a bed, if you're not used to long nails is a problem when you have to like tuck oh. like I know it sounds silly no no but, but like, it hurts it's fragile <laughs> yeah and you bend it back oh mm-hmm. and oh. then it breaks right in the middle of the nail bed and, yeah you know these sound like silly problems but when you you are you know when you now have to do everything mm-hmm. that you normally wouldn't do and if you're all of your you know fingertips are raw it's yeah. kind of it's a thing that could set you off the edge let's just say that <laughs> definitely Definitely. Speaking of kind of going over the edge, obviously you've been in lockdown for about three weeks. Have you, you know, there's that whole, you know how they break down the stages of grieving. So there's denial and acceptance. Have you found that's a similar thing during lockdown? Have you, or have you found each day is kind of up and down and you have to take it as it comes? I just have to take it as it comes, but I know myself very well. And I, don't know if I've emphasized this elsewhere, but I don't go outside because for a very long time, I suffered from anxiety. Okay. Now, I never took any medication, but I suffered from the kind of anxiety that was a bit paralyzing and behavior like um, behavior altering, like in the sense that, you know, hypochondriacism, but to like the next level. Okay. Uh, 
So the reason why I don't go outside is because I imagine myself walking outside and then something triggering an anxiety attack and then being stuck home for maybe 30 more days and having to deal with incredible anxiety for hours of the day. And so I don't go out because I know myself. Mm -hmm. The other thing too is like the other day, for instance, I was hyperventilating. Really? Yeah. And it wasn't in my home and it wasn't, it came out of nowhere. Like, and I couldn't, um, I couldn't, uh, it wasn't like a really extreme hyperventilation. Like I, you know, but I, I couldn't breathe. Like I was just, all of the tension was in my chest mm-hmm. and I couldn't like catch my breath. And I don't, I, like, it wasn't like a cough related thing. Like I don't have a feet for, it wasn't anything respiratory like you would think, but you know, like in the back of your mind, you're like, wait, oh, what God, is yeah. this now? Yeah. Um, but I think that we honestly don't know how much uh, tension uh, we carry with this thing. Like, you know, and how much, there are times when I, my husband watches the news all day, oh, but gosh. but he would watch the news all day at work because he's also tracking financial markets. So he's used to having, in his office, you know, when you're those corporate people, they have the two screens yeah. and the news is going, that's him. And so I think that from me having that, like, I think that was a panic attack. Let's not say I was hyperventilating. Let's say I had a panic attack out of nowhere, even though I thought that I was fine. And that was the day that my husband had gone grocery shopping mm-hmm. and then he came back. So he's, he takes all precautions when he goes grocery shopping. He wears a mask and he wears gloves and he has figured out times when the supermarket is empty. Mm-hmm. So he was the only one in the supermarket. But I think, you know, but then he comes home and I disinfect the our shopping cart and I disinfect the door and I disinfect everything. And later in that evening, maybe I thought that I was, um, while I was disinfecting everything, I was uh, practicing, you know, a form of, you know, precaution. Yeah. But maybe it sat with me and then it manifested itself in a panic attack after mm. Mm. So I've, I had never had one of those during this period of time, mm. this 19 day that well, 18, I don't know how many days that was. Mm-hmm. I hadn't had one before, but no, it's, I, it, I didn't do the, the grieving, um, the stages of grieving. No, I accepted this right away also because for me, it's like the science part of this is clear, yeah. you know, in the beginning when they didn't know really, they didn't know anything about uh, this virus. They were like, it's like the flu. And at the time, the the death rate was X. And, and, and now that they know that that's not the case, it's not like the flu. It's yeah. its own disease. Yeah. For me, scientifically, it's like clear. So I was able to, you know, and I had been to New York and Paris at all that time. And all of the ways that you think that you can transmit this virus, is, that's very clear to me. So... I just went straight to acceptance mode. But the stress that is related to to the virus and the devastation that it has had globally thus far, I think that it creeps into your psyche and into your space in ways that you don't even realize. So me having that panic attack, even though I thought I was, girl, I thought I was fine. I was Mm -hmm. like, 
talking to my cousin and we were laughing, 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 laughing. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. Yeah. And it was like weird. It was so strange. But that's kind of, and I, you know, I share this to let everyone know that you are, everyone is going to experience different things. And anything that you're experiencing is valid, is not the excessive. It's normal for the person you are. It's your reaction. Uh, in our generation, there's been nothing like this. And you please be gentle with yourself and like reach out for help when you, when you feel overwhelmed because while we are prepared to a certain extent for this, we're, we're, this is the first time it's ever happening to us. So we have no idea how we're going to react. And every day is different. And, you know, I think sharing and talking about it is helpful so that others know that it's, it's okay for them to experience a certain thing because it is a natural and completely valid reaction. Yeah, I think you're so right. It's, it's like this thing that's all around us. And because I'll have days where I don't feel stressed, but it's just a sensation that there's something there like that's stopping us from obviously there's the rules of not leaving and stuff. But it's like there's some kind of unwritten stuff as well. That's it just doesn't go away. And for me, I find it's like maybe when I'm in bed at night and, you know, it's time to go to sleep, but. I might wake up at like one o'clock and then I might wake up at four o'clock and it always takes me back to the current situation. Like, when's it going to be over? Is today going to be different? So I envy your acceptance early on, but I get it as well because obviously what you've explained. Has there been anything new that you've found about yourself during this time? I just, uh, you know, the thing, the thing about this period is I like I needed a break. I needed a break because you know how much I travel. Yep. There are certain things that I needed to do. I'm not. I'm not productive at all. Like I'll be very honest. Just I'm very uh, distracted, and I'm accepting that. After speaking to my friend, who is a healer and who is very connected with the universe, I'm not concerned about my product productivity at this moment. However. I, I needed this time and it's a bitter sweet situation. I needed to stop. This is not the reason why I would have wanted to stop. I, I wouldn't want all of these people to suffer. I wouldn't want all of these medical professionals to suffer the way that they are suffering because they are, they are sacrificing them not sacrificing themselves. They're taking care of the patients in conditions that are heroic. They don't want to be called heroes, but they are impressive. Impressive, impressive, impressive. So I am impressed with the way the universe guides you in difficult periods. If you take the time to to respond and to listen. And so I don't have perfect moments all the time. Like sometimes I'm lost because this is hella difficult. You know, mm. this is hella difficult. Mm. 
However, the moment where I am connected, I am so moved by what the divine spirit is trying to communicate to us, to me, in my space, in what I need. So I feel that it's a reaffirmation of the power of the universe and uh, which never fails to amaze me. Um, but I haven't found anything new. It's just more reaffirmation in the sense that it's a reconnecting. Um, it's, it's really, it's also acknowledging that the universe wanted us to slow down. I mean, we just came off of this period where there were the fires. Do we forget the fires in Australia? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, do we yeah. forget those? And we're still not listening. Our governments are still signing deals that are catastrophic for the environment. You know, day, day workers, they're calling them now, are still working in conditions. And they're the ones that are saving us today. Yeah, They're keeping all the, the essential stores open. They are, you know, driving the buses. They are delivering uh, product and services. And you know, they work in conditions that are deplorable. Yeah. Um, we were not acting fast enough and we were not listening. And I, I don't know where the world has stopped and the world is going to stop because I feel like I'm so happy that some of the countries are able to uh, contain the virus in the way that they're doing it. But I feel like when the United States when it finally started testing, we're seeing that it has the most cases in no time since it started testing. I feel like it is going to be a wake-up call yep. globally yep. that the world is going to stop. Like we, I mean, you see it, you know, in the reports about pollution uh, in cities where there was high pollution. Those cities, the the air is cleaner right yeah. now. yeah. You know, and I think collectively, hopefully, a part of the population can come to terms with this vulnerability and come to terms with how we were living. And like many people have been saying, reconnect on a human level. And uh, so I think that that's what I mean, th there's massive losses occurring, but then on the other side of it, my, my friend said that this is a movement and this is, you know, the divine taking the, the reins again or taking it back to save us from ourselves. There's incredible loss, but then on the other side, there's healing as well. Or there's, there's a space for healing mm -hmm. if we acknowledge it and accept it. So it's a, it's, a, it's a very bittersweet kind of situation, you know. The future will be tough because we're rebuilding, but what are the values we're going to celebrate when we rebuild you know what are the values we're going to take into consideration what are the values we're going to, that we're going to use to rebuild so this is a time to think about all of that because we are completely shut down like you know yeah if you could summarize all of that that's what i've kind of that's in my lucid calm moments that's what i think about have you got a message for listeners around the world you know based on 
what you've been going through for the, the past three weeks? What can you tell us? I think that you have to be really grateful for the small things. I think that you can't go outside, but you can look outside and you can appreciate that it's springtime and that the season is changing and that there's going to be a, a, a full bloom shortly. And I think that you can appreciate that and appreciate how beautiful the world is because Netflix, I can't even watch some of those shows because you know how annoying they can be. Like, no, I, I, no, I don't want to see certain things. Yeah. Yes. But you can look outside. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know when the sun hits like a, a room in my house and I sit there and I let the sun just warm my face because that's the only contact with the sun I'm going to have for a few weeks. Okay. So that's fine. You know, my coffee is tasting so good and it's just like the coffee from the supermarket. Like it's not a fancy coffee, industrial coffee. <laughs> um, tune in to yourself because, you know, as much as I love food and as much as I can curate a menu, I'm not an excellent cook, but I, I can curate a menu, curate an ingredient, find that receipt, uh, the, uh, it's called a Rechecta. find that recipe um, and put it together or organize it. But let me tell you, I don't know if my ancestors are talking to me. I'm like going without a damn recipe at this point. Like I'm just throwing stuff in and cooking stuff. So You have to, you have to. Yeah. Each day is an experiment. <laughs> yeah, and you know, this is the time, this is really a time to do the thing that you, the things that you can do at home that you wanted to do so that you've always wanted to do so you know this is a bad situation no denying it but just really look for the positive things that are happening in your life during the day the small things the, the things that we took for granted I think that's the best way and you know you have to accept the situation you cannot go out are you going to be sad about it or are you just going to manifest by sharing your full desire that people stay in the house so that this can come to an end sooner than later. Like it's so important, you know, it's extremely important. So that, you know, that's how I get through my day. You know, my husband and I work so much and we're here doing this together and it's going well. And like, he, my husband takes up a lot of space, let me tell you, a lot of space. But I'm not even tripping over things anymore. Like, whatever. <laughs> the things that would be so annoying, I'm like, what's the point? And rude about stuff. Just It's, it's so not important, you know? Well, you, um, you just celebrated a, a, a big anniversary, an anniversary, didn't you? So Yeah, and we made it this far, and I'm thankful. Thank God. So that's the thing, like... No, your life isn't normal, and stop holding on to what you what was normal because it's not going to be normal when you go when we go when we're done with this. Nothing is going to be normal. You're going to have to adapt. So don't hang on to what was. Live in the moment. Appreciate that you're alive. Appreciate that you're healthy. You know, and the one thing that I I I, I hope everyone is doing is holding a space. For those who can't sit down, for those who can't be calm, just sitting down and thinking to yourself, you know, in Italy and in any country right now, the, 
those who are dying are dying alone. They're not dying with their families because we're in isolation. So their families can't be with them. Mm. And so they're no goodbye. Mm. So if you sit and you say, you hold a space for them and you say, I'm here with you spiritually. I'm here with you. You may be afraid, but I'm here with you. And you're transitioning to the next dimension and I'm here with you. I am one person. I am just sitting here with you because I love you and I appreciate the life that you live. And thank you for the life that you live, you know? Mm -hmm. And then for the doctors who cannot sit, who I don't even understand how they're working because a lot of them aren't even respiratory respiratory uh, trained doctors. Mm. The freaking dermatologists are delivering respiratory care now in Italy, for example. Dermatologists, radiologists, they've had to be trained. And sit with them. Sit on your sofa and say, I'm with you. I'm sitting here with you because you cannot take a break. And you have to be thinking at a level that I can't even imagine, but I honor you and I honor what you're doing and I'm here and I'm going to sit with you, you know? And I, I shared that quote the other day and it, it really meant a lot for me because I understood that in our small way, we could do something for the people who are most affected by this this tragic pandemic. And the, the quote was from Thich Nhat Hanh. Okay. And that's where I got this idea. And it, the quote was, we sit for those who can't sit, walk for those who can't walk, and create stillness and peace within us for people who have no stillness or peace. And I think when you're at home and you're trying to get through this, if you empathize for those who are going through, the, who are in the front line, then it might put the experience into perspective. It's hard. It's hard. But uh, you're safe and you're in your home and you can contribute contribute positively and spiritually by just that small act. Mm. I love that. The very last question is, and just taking it back to, you know, appreciating the small things and you mentioned about how the sun and it's spring is coming and how beautiful it is. I just want to know, like, has it, I always ask people, when do they feel the most beautiful? Um, are you still feeling beautiful are you having moments where you feel beautiful during this time oh i tell myself i'm beautiful every day <laughs> do you tell yourself um, in the mirror or um just when i catch a glimpse of myself you know like walking past the mirror and you're like oh your butt looks really good or <laughs> or you know when you wash your face and you're like Ah, this skin is looking amazing. You know, those moments, those moments. 
Definitely. Or if you've had like a nice moisturized hair day and you're like, ooh, your hair looks moisturized. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so, the little things. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we should definitely remind ourselves how beautiful we are every day. Well, I think we are going to wrap up there, Tamu, because it's been over an hour and I don't know if you've got a hectic schedule right now. But <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please do like, subscribe and review when you get the chance. It's so important for me to keep improving on this podcast, so I'd love a review. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BeautyMePodcast. And I'd love it if you could take a screenshot and tag me when you're listening so that I can see what you think. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>